Swim check one, two. Bike check one, two. Run check one, two. I think we're ready. Let's try this. Welcome to the Try Beginner's Luck podcast, a podcast where we explore the sport of triathlon from a variety of perspectives to help beginner triathletes on their journey. I am your host, Nishanda Shines. Welcome to another edition of Try Beginner's Luck. This week, we have the coach of all coaches, 2020 coach of the year, Brian Gresky with us. I am so excited. I got an opportunity to hear him speak at the 2021 Endurance Exchange. And I'm telling you, this is how it was the whole time. For those of you who cannot see me and you're listening, my mouth is wide open, eyes are big. And I was just like, yes, everything, just being a sponge and absorbing everything he had to say. So listen, buckle up your seatbelts for those of you who are driving. And for those of you who are just cleaning up around the kitchen or on your bike trainer, let's get ready for the ride of our lives as we have the coach of all coaches, Mr. Brian Gretzky with us today. Hi, Brian. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you here. I tell you, during your uh, talk during Endurance Exchange, my mouth literally was wide open. I was just like, wow, there's so much knowledge and I'm grateful to be able to sit in on here. And I just kept remembering Melissa saying how she was just so uh, grateful to be able to sit up under you and to learn and how you teach the other coaches. I want to start off by talking about USA triathlon level one, two, and three coaching. You are USA triathlon certified level three coaching. What exactly does that mean? Uh, it's right now it's the, the top level of coaching with USA triathlon. Uh, they start out with level one uh, and the entry uh, into level one is uh, a, quite easy. You have to show that you're uh, intent on coaching and that you want to make this a bit of at least a, a hobby, if not a career. Um, and then after a couple of years of experience, you have the option of going into level two. Uh, coaching at the level one, the education piece is all centered around the, um, the mainstream coaching uh, of all different distances. And then we can uh, specialize after that into long course, short course, draft legal or youth. Uh, at level two, we start getting into more of the process of coaching. There's more education on how to, um, how, to, how to speak, how to communicate, how to work directly with athletes, whether that's on the deck or at the track. Um, and it goes into a deeper level into more of the science and physiology behind what we're doing as coaches. Uh, and then with level three, you need another few years of experience. Uh, there's a couple at the time that I went in, you had to have gone through uh, a USA triathlon program called the elite mentorship program, where I spent a week at the Olympic training center, mentoring underneath the coaches, coaching Olympic athletes. Um, and then you had to prove, or you had to take an elite athlete to either national champion, uh, ship or a, a top five in worlds. Uh, or, or Olympic qualification. So uh, at that point, it was focused on coaching elites. Uh, it's changed a little bit at this point, but it's still focused on the elite level of coaching, um, a high level knowledge or certification or degree in exercise science, exercise physiology, uh, and that. So uh, right now, there are 23 or 24 level three coaches in the United States. Uh, we're working on getting, uh, getting a few more, uh, certifying a couple every year. Uh, but that's where it's at. And it, it's right now the, it's called the elite level of coaching. Wow. Well, thank you for all that you do and for your passion uh, in this sport to see it grow, to see it uh, flourish. And it starts with coaches, right? And uh, if we, by having good coaches, you can train up really good athletes. And let's kind of segue into that. Can you talk about the type of athletes that you train and do you even train beginner triathletes? Uh, absolutely. Um, I, I train all levels uh, right now. And I have, uh, having coached for about 20 years, I, uh, the first athlete I coached was a high school kid. I met with he and his father at the local Starbucks and uh, met with, or actually in their living room. Um, and then, uh, and then we moved, we graduated up to a Starbucks after that, but um through that, I've, I've grown as a coach and, and the athletes have grown. I've kind of messed with a lot of different things. I've coached at the club level uh, here in Tucson. I've done many, many camps. I've coached with other companies. Um, now I have my own. 
I've coached the University of Arizona Tri-Cats for seven seasons. Um, so at the collegiate level, uh, beginners, elites, pros, world champions, draft legal, non-drafting, on-road, off-road, long course, short course. Um, my focus right now is really on, as a level three, we are the trainers of the trainers. So if you think of level one, that's the primary coach. Level two are the experts who are brought in to coach at world championships and that kind of thing. And then level three is they're the innovators and the educators. So as a level three, my job mainly is coaching coaches, whether that's coaching mentorship, teaching the USA triathlon courses, um, or, um, or that kind of thing. Most of my, I do carry a few athletes uh, right now coaching directly. Most of my athletes are also coaches um, and they tend to be the high level professionals who've been successful in business or industry. And they want to carry that same uh, high level of uh, success into their sport, but they don't necessarily have the time to devote the um, somebody that's not, you know, it's CFO or CEO level, you know, C-level executive, somebody who's not that level um, may have. So I'm dealing with people who don't like to fail, like to work very hard, but also need a push into the recovery side of things because they tend to go, go, go. That's really good. I think you mentioned that during the endurance exchange that the coaches need a coach and, you know, that's how they get better. And so what would you say will be the number one thing that you are that you share with your coaches that are coaching others that you think that is paramount as they transfer the knowledge to their athlete? Well, that's a tough one. There's a lot of stuff with that, but I think the number one, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, the ability to teach or allow our athletes to accept something less than their goal. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have high goals. I'm not saying we shouldn't strive for those. But there will be times we come short, whether that's a near miss, whether that's a failure, whether it's just a stumble. Uh, we have to impress upon us as coaches and on our athletes that it's okay once in a while to miss. And you don't have to be satisfied with that, but we have to accept that it happens. And so when we have a near miss or we miss a goal or we stumble in something, one of the most important things we can do as coaches and as athletes is go back and debrief that. Um, with, um, uh, I'm, I'm also a military pilot and with our, our, uh, flight, the, the most important piece of the flight is the debrief, right? The, the flight might be an hour long and might be 30 minutes of tactics inside that flight, but the debrief might be six or seven hours long. And we need to debrief when we fall short on something. And that's how we learn from it. That's how we learn to, um, either approach it differently, have a different level of knowledge or different level of skill in order to make that success next time. And as athletes and coaches, we won't always make every single goal. And one, we have to be okay with it, but we don't have to be satisfied by it. So we need to then figure out how to train better, train smarter, approach the race differently, have a different mental attitude, execute our nutrition or hydration or rest plan differently so that we can make the success happen on the next one. That's good. That's good. I want to go back to you being a pilot, but I also want to even go back a little further to your start. Let's talk about how did you get started in triathlon? Yeah, it was kind of, a, it, it's a, I, I like looking back at this. Um, I was a, a runner in high school. Uh, I barely knew how to swim other than get across the pool so I could go dive off the diving board as a kid. Um, in high school, a friend of mine was a cyclist. His brother was a triathlete. And so I borrowed my mom's bike and I would ride uh, with him when he was on his training bike and he had done my my buddy had done a couple of triathlons and his brother was kind of big time into it and I always envied that triathlon piece um, but it wasn't until I went to college that I got into triathlon I went to college uh, on the cross-country team and I just needed something different I ended up um, at the beginning of cross-country actually ended up leaving the cross-country team uh, or, or looking for something different so one weekend I spent on a bike ride with the triathlon team. And uh, I borrowed uh, one of the, the people on the team, his roommate had a bike, I borrowed that bike. It was a, a 62 centimeter bike and I'm 5'9". So it was a little bit big for me. Yeah. Um, but I ended up breaking the chain uh, about seven or eight miles from our dorm. And our dorm, that seven or eight miles is seven or eight miles, but it's also a thousand vertical feet climb up to our dorm. And so I had a teammate on my left and a teammate on my right pushed me the entire seven miles and thousand feet back up to the dorm. Um, 
and not once did they complain, not once did they say anything negative. And I, and we just chatted the whole time and I got a free ride. So it, that interaction made me leave the cross country team to go to triathlon. Uh, one to try the sport and two, because just the people were super chill and super cool. And uh, that was the group of people that I wanted to be associated with. Absolutely. And I found that over and over and over in the 30 years I've done triathlon now is it is the people that keep bringing me back. I would have to agree with you. The people in triathlon are bar none to any other individual sport that I participated mm -hmm. in as well. You know, you have your runners, you have your individual cyclists and your swimmers, but when you combine the three of them, it's like, it's a whole different craft of people and they're helpful. And as I'm saying this and talking about this, I really think it's the endured suffering that we go through. We understand that we are out here for the long haul and we need yeah. each other. Whereas, you know, other sports is one and done, but here we have three different disciplines that we have to come together on and encouraging. And I think about by the time you get to the, uh, the run and everyone is looking depleted, depending on what level or what, you know, length of the triathlon line you're doing and you have, keep going, you got this. And it's like, but you don't know me. And you, you keep yeah. running and you get that little pep in your step and you're just like, this is what it's all about. And you walk away feeling good. And then you happen to see that person in the, the aftermath, you know, while you're out there getting your, you know, post-race food or beer or whatever they've provided. And you walk up to that person and say, thank you. It's because of you that I was able to finish the race. And then you walk away with that sense of, wow, we are a team, mm -hmm. even though it's individual, but we are collectively a team. So I love, love, love that approach. And I just want to, you know, encourage those of you who are listening triathletes are truly amazing individuals. And if you are beginning and you're tri-curious and you want to you know, explore this sport, trust me when I say it's the people that will keep you coming back again and again, especially when you get with the right group of people. Um, speaking of right group of people, you used to coach for clubs. How important is it for a beginner triathlete to gain the experience of coaching from the onset? It's critical in longevity in the sport or in enjoyment as a beginner. And the reason I say that is triathlon is that sport that we didn't grow up doing triathlon as kids, right? We grew up maybe riding bikes in a neighborhood or maybe swimming um, when it was hot in the summer. Um, maybe we ran a little bit as kids. And then as we got into junior high and high school, maybe we were on the cross country team, but maybe we played softball or baseball or dance or band, but there wasn't kids triathlon like is starting today. Uh, and so with that, we don't have a, a youth sport background to go up into this. You know, a few people here and there were into um, the, the wonder kids uh, triathlon youth and all that kind of stuff. But again, that's the, the vast minority of us. And so what that leads to is as adults, we don't have a background to back, to, to back up to. We don't have a knowledge base to back up to that we learned when we were seven, eight or 10 or 15. And so we're all going, we as adults, whether we're 18 or 35, we're going into this with a very minimal level of knowledge and knowledge brings confidence. And so that means we're typically going into the sport without a whole ton of confidence coming in. And maybe we have some, but maybe it's not great confidence. We've read a couple of books. We've listened to some great podcasts like this, but we don't have the experience to back up to. And so the only way to really get that experience without doing a whole bunch of races is to learn from the people who have. And so a club atmosphere gives us the ability to talk to other people who have been where we are or are there now. Um, we can talk to people, you know, we're getting ready for our first triathlon. Maybe there are people in the club who did their first triathlon last year or the year before, uh, maybe there's a coach there who has done a, a, a few triathlons or has coached others to a few triathlons. And maybe there's somebody who's been in the sport for 20 years who really has that level of knowledge uh, to really dig into experience wise. Uh, and so the club just brings in, it, it really enhances your experience through other people and gains you that confidence because you've seen one, there's other people that are in the same boat I am and, and don't have this experience. And two, there are other people who have the experience that I can glean from, and they're happy to share that experience with me. And that's the best part. Absolutely. Um, starting out, you know, people don't know that coaching is an option. 
where would you say would be the first place that you would suggest for them to look so that they can have the coach of their choice? And how would you tell them to select their coach? That's a great question. The first place I would go is, is back to the club again. If there's a local club, join that club, jump in and just immerse yourself in everything the club is doing. And it may not be coach led, but even, even if there's a workout or a, a skill session that's led by somebody with experience, that can be a very powerful thing. If you're not sure about coaches in your area, I would go to your local bike shop or running shop and ask the people there where they send their triathletes or if there's a club or a group or a group workout in town. A lot of running groups and cycling groups and swimming groups have a lot of triathletes in them. And it's a great place to gain a little bit of knowledge and get a little network going uh, from there. Uh, and at least my experience, a lot of clubs do most of their communication now on social media, and that's a good place to start reaching out as well. Um, otherwise, I would, and what I encourage my athletes, especially beginners to do is go to a race and watch a local race, watch the transition, watch the start, watch the finish lines, watch the smiles uh, as people cross that finish line. And you get a sense of excitement and you get to share that with them, even as a spectator, but that then you have some people there, maybe you recognize somebody, you know, maybe you have a friend of a friend there, or maybe you just walk up to somebody and say, you know what, I'm really proud of what you just did. I would like to do that. Is there a network here in town that you can get me plugged into? That's good. I think that is a uh, very helpful information and uh, it points them in the right direction. Would you say that uh, USA Triathlon has a page that they can go and look to see coaches from around the world? Perhaps if they don't want to go from a local and they want to get maybe somebody who's a level two coach or a level one coach, or maybe just hike up there for a level three coach, would you suggest them to go back to the USA Triathlon page to kind of search out of, you know, the group of coaches that they have there? I would, yeah. The, the Find a Coach page on USA Triathlon's website is a great resource. You can search and filter by geographic area, by experience level, by uh, expertise level. And so every certified coach has an option to put themselves on this page and you can put in there that I work with beginners and advanced and youth and juniors and who I don't work with and that. So uh, that's a great place to go. Um, and, and from there, you'll get some information. You can reach out to the coaches. Usually uh, it provides an email address or a phone number uh, and you can start doing your research that way. Awesome. What would you say would make you turn away an athlete? Even if they're a beginner, what is it that will make you say, I'm sorry, but I don't think I can coach you? Also a great question. Um, and and that, that's happened. I've had to do that a bit. Uh, coaching is a relationship, just like any other relationship. And some relationships work and some don't. Um, if there's not a click, if there's not a personal connection between you and the coach, you're not going to get everything that you need out of that relationship. And it's going to be less than ideal for one or most likely both of you. Um, and so that would be an opportunity. If I, if, if a, a coach or if an athlete is interviewing me as a coach um, or we've started working together and we're just not clicking or we're not communicating well, and we're not able to get by that, that's going to be the first place that I say, you know what, we're, we're not going to have a, a great relationship with this. Um, we're not clicking that well, but let me help you. Let me find you somebody who I think could work well with you or somebody who has that level of, of experience or knowledge or availability that you need. And, um, so as a coach, we should help with a solution to that as well, right? But um, it, it really comes down to the relationship piece. And we've got to be true to that relationship piece, just like with any other relationship that we have. Mm, that's good. We need to have that full trust is why. Trust is good and communication. But for someone, say, for instance, they're scared, they're nervous. How would you tell them it's best to develop that relationship with the coach? Because sometimes it could just be awkward personalities, right? And how Ooh. would you suggest that they get past that awkwardness? Because you gotta think, you know, triathletes are smart. They are mm -hmm. A-type personalities. They know what they want, but sometimes we can be a little awkward in our, you know, just a little bit awkward. Oh yeah. So how would you suggest getting past that awkward phase in coaching to say, oh, this isn't a good fit after working past some of the maybe personality, uh, just, you know, personality challenges. 
Well, I think that's just it. I mean, we need to understand that we all have different backgrounds and different upbringings and we come from different places and we value different things. Uh, and that's just part of who makes us, of what makes us who we are. Um, the, it's never a fun thing to have that conversation that we're not clicking as a, in a relationship. But, uh, and, and before we get to that point, we should try and work through everything that we can. And, and it really just comes down to being honest with each other and truthful. Um, if we don't understand something, let's talk about that. If, um, if you're not understanding what I'm saying, if I'm speaking in too many, um, you know, buzzwords or colloquialisms or just not, you know, maybe I'm speaking too fast, then we just need to have those conversations. Um, if there are personality differences, maybe that's a cool thing to learn about each other is what makes you who you are, what makes me who I am, what are our backgrounds. Um, I try to get to know an athlete on a very personal level first because it helps break down some of those trust barriers. And if we know who we are at a personal level, we're going to be more upfront and honest. Um, and we need to be upfront and honest with that because there are things that are somewhat uncomfortable to talk about that we need to talk about when we start talking coaching and that it, I mean, there are things that affect um, the physiology of our body that, you know, maybe we're not super comfortable with talking about. Maybe, um, you know, if I'm coaching a female, maybe she's not fully comfortable talking to me about her cycles, but that has a big play on how we train. Or maybe we're not so comfortable talking about, you know, peeing on the bike or, you know, this weird little things like that, right? So we've, we really just need to break down every barrier that we can, be upfront and honest and, uh, and be truthful with each other. And we're going to develop a good relationship and move forward. You know, Brian, you hit on a really good one. The whole peeing on the bike. That's a vulnerable moment. And, um, you know, you know, I've I've been peed on by people who splashed off the bike and got on me. I wasn't real happy about that. How about those people? Oh my gosh, I got to be monitoring that now going forward. Like, how is my, (laughs) that is so horrible. (laughs) We're talking about where your pee is going when you're peeing on the bike, but it's a real thing because that wasting, that's a wasted time frame. And you know what? Your bike can be clean. You can get on there and clean your bike, clean your bike shoes. But sometimes if you get off the bike, it means you may not get back on depending on how you've, you know, distributed that lactic acid. So speaking of lactic acid and distribution, let's talk about how you coach your athletes. So beginners and those who are, you know, just, you know, you could be an advanced triathlete, listen to this or a very experienced triathlete, listen to this. And you just want to know the goods about how to coach and where to get data from. Let's talk about how do you coach your athletes and what platforms are best served so that athletes can see their, um, their growth, uh, you know, their growth and, um, and be able to improve throughout the sport. Because again, I go back to my experiences and this is how this podcast was formed is just not knowing that there were tools and resources out there that will help you perform better. So how would you inform a beginner triathlete on what they can do to uh, see metrics and to at a very basic level so that they can grow as an athlete? Yeah, so there's a ton of pieces, parts, and things out there that we can use to help with the performance, with coaching, with communicating that, right? Everything from power meters to smart trainers to, you know, Zwift and Peloton and heart rate monitors. There's a whole bunch of stuff out there. And so the first thing we have to do is um, really have to be sensitive to who, who who we are as an athlete and who we are as coach. Um, If I'm not comfortable with a power meter, I shouldn't be asking you to get a power meter because I'm not going to maximize the dollars you spend on that. So it's important for, for us to know where our knowledge lies, both as athlete and as coach. Um, that being said, there's one in the spectrum where you can spend a ton of money on a whole lot of electronic gizmos and gadgets and get everything that you need. You can have um, sensors and monitors that monitor your heart rate, your power output, your caloric intake, your hydration levels, your sleep patterns, your um, uh, the heart rate variability, which gets a whole lot into the physiology on things. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you can spend money and time on. Or you can do what we did back in the day where we just trained and rested and ate right and it works. So really what it comes down to, especially as, an, as a beginner athlete, don't get wrapped up in the gizmos and the gadgets and the numbers. Get wrapped up in enjoying the sport, having fun, being active, being consistent with your activity and allowing your body to develop in the pace that it develops. 
aerobic activity or aerobic fitness takes a lot of time to develop. Uh, once you start training, you're consistent with training. The stuff that you train on this week, it can take three to four months to really develop into fitness. It's it, And you have to be consistent over that time. So one workout followed by a whole bunch of rest, followed by one workout, followed by more rest, is really isn't going to get you anywhere other than sore. You have to be consistent. You have to be diligent with your training. And that's more important than knowing how many watts you're pushing and what your heart rate is. Now, once we have that consistency down in that, that drive and that direction, if the budget's there and if the desire is there and if the coach knows how to use it, now we can get into heart rate, power, speed, power on the run. We can get into those gadgets in order to help define or fine tune how much power, how much effort we're putting out and into what level. And then that can help us define how much rest we need or what kind of uh, caloric or, or mental or physical recovery we need or when the next workout should be. So the data really should follow basic training principles rather than the other way around. And I fear a lot of people get too wrapped up. Um, I, I own a triathlon shop, a couple of them, and people come into the shop and they, they want a power meter with their brand new first bike and they want heart rate monitors and they want this and that gizmo and that kind of stuff. And we start really having a conversation of why do you want all that stuff? Well, my buddy has one. Or I, I read an article about some, and we just need to really get to the basics of let's train first and then let's use the gadgets and the data in order to help fine tune that training once we're consistent. But yeah. if we don't have that first piece down, if we don't have the consistency down, if we're not training, all the giz gadgets and gizmos are just going to be a bunch of wasted money. Um, and, and and that's the thing is let's enjoy what we're doing first rather than um, spending a ton of money. Now, my degree is in engineering. I love numbers. I have all the gadgets and gizmo, and I love coaching with them. So I'm not discouraging their use, but they're not the end. They're not the primary piece. They're they're a secondary tool. So, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here. If you're beginning, just have fun, train, yes. and just because you get sore doesn't mean you're fit. That was right. a word. Cause you know, I'm not going to front. I mean, it's like, Oh yeah, I'm so sore. I'm like so fit. <laughs> no, you just shut that down. So thank you for shutting that down and letting me know that just because I'm sore doesn't mean that I'm fit. And for those of you listening, that's for you too. So with that said, <laughs> I think that's funny because you come back from the gym and you, the next day you're sore and you're like, I worked out so hard. I'm this. And you're like, Hmm, but let's see what that, uh, you know, how your fitness is looking, your form is looking over time. Uh, so I think that's just great. And in terms of the uh, Gidges and Gasmos, I can speak to that one and say, I don't have all the Gidgets and Gasmos. And I've been doing this sport for about seven years. But now that I'm more invested into the sport, it's like, okay, now I want to get those things because I want to see the metrics change and I want to see improvements and I want to grow. So what I would suggest is get the basics and grow with the sport because you can get all that stuff in the beginning and then you're selling it six months later on Facebook marketplace because you're unhappy. And that's because you didn't know how to work everything. And there's a system. And I think just like with, um, as if we think about it from a baby's perspective, when we, you know, we, we start off on milk, you know, then we get the milk with some formula in it. And then we get milk formula and our parents may sneak us some chicken or, you know, they start giving us table food. And then, you know, we get more, we get more sophisticated and our palate gets more sophisticated as we grow and we grow and mature into adults. And I think that's the same thing that can be looked at into this sport in terms of start off with the basics, you know, make sure you have a bike computer. So your bike computer can say, measure your cadence, measure your speed. Uh, but power, you'll get into that later uh, because power isn't as important if you don't know how to distribute the power, yep. you know, Absolutely. And I mean, look at me learning something, you know, through this training I'm learning, you know, just, it's all about power distribution or, you know, how, how to use your zones correctly. Cause that again, power, if you're getting a power meter and you're only in a zone four, you're going to mess yourself up because that's not where you need to be for depending on your race. So you have to know why you have to know the why when getting the gadget so that you can use them and respect the gadget. That's a good one. Absolutely. Respect Absolutely. The gadget hashtag. We need to hashtag that respect the try gadget. Hmm. So, yes. So with that said, Brian, um, we have the gadgets, we have the tools 
if a person is coming to you for training, what would be the first thing that you will tell them to do so that they can get set up and be set up for success? Oh, that's a good question. Everybody's so different. Um, the first thing we need to do from a training standpoint is kind of, as I mentioned before, get the consistency down. We need to have a consistent schedule, a consistent training bill. Um, it doesn't mean every day of the year, right? We, we need downtime. We need off time. We need rest and recovery time, uh, which is harder where I'm at down in Arizona. People want to train all year round, where if you're up in Colorado, you may be skiing for the winter. And that's, that's good rest. Um, so we need to really take the first thing and, and look at the whole season and say, what are our goals this season? Where do you want to go? Uh, if the goal is a specific race or a specific distance or to qualify for an event, or maybe the goal is just to do a bunch of races and have fun. The first thing we need to do is really just have a, uh, a sit down and talk about what those goals are. Then we figure out what the primary goal is at the end or, you know, somewhere down the season and figure out where we are right now in terms of that goal. So if the goal is to race at a certain time or a certain fitness level, and we need to set where we are now so that we can have a, a starting point and end point. And then uh, the, the whole point of training is find the roadmap between those two fitness points. It may be a straight line, but more likely it's a little bit of this and we'll turn over here. And now we're going to work on swimming and we'll work on a bike over here. And, and there's only so many hours in the day or hours in the week. And with a lot of us, we hold jobs, we have kids, we have, you know, soccer games to go to on the weekends, family vacations, that. So the training has to follow that roadmap loosely to where we can have the ability to take a weekend off because we're going to the mountains or miss a morning workout because the kid got sick or, uh, you know, those kind of, we have to have life work into this triathlon plan at the same time. If we're too rigid and, and we're too stuck in what we're doing, then a couple of things will happen. Either our family will resent us because mm -hmm. we prize triathlon over everything else, or we will start to resent triathlon because we can't live our life the way we like to live our life or the way we're used to. And so we need to make sure that in the whole game of getting from where we are to where we want to be in a fitness standpoint, we need to make sure that life fits into that as well. So the training plan has to take into consideration all those things and have some flexibility. And so that's a lot of things, but that's kind of the first process that I'll go through. I like that because you say on your, your website that you love helping busy people work sport into their lives. Yep. Um, and Not the other way around. Right. And I think that that's key because you have so many people who automatically say, I can't do this because I'm so busy. When technically we do have 24 hours in a day. And if we maximize those 24 hours, we can fit in, even if it's 30 minutes of training, 30 minutes of training is better than no training at all. Right. Absolutely. So what is your strategy to getting people to make this a priority? I can't. Mm. My strategy is I, I don't make that decision. I'm the coach. I need the athlete to make this a priority. And that's the strategy is you as the athlete, if I'm, if I'm working with you, you as the athlete, you need to make this a priority. Now I can help you in the how to make this a priority. I can help work around lifestyle. I can help work around different things by having a simple plan that's flexible, that can vary. I can be available so that in the morning you wake up and you're not feeling great. You text me and say, hey, I'm not feeling great. What do I do? But making this, making training a priority is not, that, that, that can't be the coach's job. That has to be the athlete's job. We have to commit to this. And so in doing so, <clears throat> once the athlete says, yep, this is a priority. I can make this a priority. I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to rearrange. I'm going to be more efficient with this. I'm going to, um, you know, combine these two things into one or move them to a different day. Once we have that commitment down now, I can work and I can say right here, I, I know you have 40 minutes today. Here's what we're going to do for that 40 minutes to maximize your uh, time, effort, and energy into the best fitness that we can. Um, now, there may be conversations of your goals are here right now. We're working the level to reach here. So is there something else we can do to gain a little bit more time or to gain some more rest and recovery or to get a little bit more sleep or to eat a little better? Um, and those are conversations that I'll initiate. Um, but it really has to take a decision on the part of the athlete to commit to what we're doing. And again, there's an agreement. I will 
do what I can to make sure that the sport fits within your lifestyle, but there's a give and take. I need the athlete to be able to allow for some ability for the sport to come in to the lifestyle. And most, most athletes really want to do it. Once they see, once they set their goals. And again, I don't set the goals as the coach. That's the athlete. Here's what I want to do. That's once the athlete sets that they own that. The reason I don't set that, that goal is I need athlete buy-in. So if they set that goal, they own it. And now they can come in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned if we're unbalanced and families start to resent you, right? First of all, I just want to say shout out to your triathlon family. You have the quintessential family. You know, everyone in your family come is a part of this sport. Uh, your newborn is, you know, equally came out of the womb saying, hey, I'm going to be a triathlete. Like you literally, your wife, your beautiful wife, Stephanie is uh, a triathlete and she's a coach, you know, under, you know, your company Gretzky uh, Endurance. Um, your children are a part of this lifestyle. Let's talk about that family dynamic of having a family who literally tries together. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it, so first, it's important for kids to try different things, right? And to, to get into everything. We've encouraged the kids to try everything. They've been into dance and soccer and baseball and you know, whatever else uh, have been out there, but they all, they tend to gravitate to our triathlon, which is great. It, so that when Stephanie goes to practice, they're all going to one place rather than, you know, me trying to run everybody all over the place. Um, uh, yep. My wife, it, we, we met in the sport of triathlon. Um, she is now a level two coach and a youth and junior coach. So she runs our kids high performance team. Um, I work a little bit with the team now and then, um, we've got a triathlon shop, like I mentioned, um, but, and all the kids are into this. So we've gone to nationals a few times with the older girls, um, and the kids now 15, 14, 11, and six, uh, rider was riding a bike with, uh, free wheels and handbrakes before he turned three. I mean, it's just, it, it's something that has surrounded the kids and they just think that's normal. Um, just like where I grew up, we were on a ranch and that was normal to me. Now it's, you know, these kids think it's normal to be in triathlon. Um, and so we just, we normalize it and that's just lifestyle. It's just what we do. You know, when they get home from school on Monday, it's swim team, uh, you know, on Monday evening and on Wednesdays it's run day and, and, and that kind of thing. So it's, it's fun for us being a part of that. And it's fun for them. Um, it makes it expensive because we have 17 bikes in the garage, but, uh, that's kind of just how it works. You know, the, the girls are into mountain bike, actually all of them now are into mountain biking as well. Um, we had three, all three girls in the family were on, were state champions in cyclocross three years in a row. I mean, it's, it's just fun to, to be a part of different things and expose them to different things. And, and that includes being off-road, being on-road, running, swimming, cycling the whole bit. So Let's talk about these 17 bikes. I mean, you have 17 bikes, so where are your cars? Or do you need cars? Because you guys are so fast on your bike. Right. Yeah, cars don't belong in the garage. Garages for bikes. Hey, I would love to see a picture of this because I'm sure you have it formed in, in wall art because you are a very organized guy. I can just tell that you, you have everything organized. So I want you to send me a picture of how your bikes are organized. Like whose corner is this? Whose corner is that to make it all fit? Because I think that that is just so cool. And, you know, for those of you who are listening, who are viewing this, how cool is it to normalize the sport for your children and you're raising up a generation of people who will be active? And I think that's the point too, as with triathlons, you literally can start so early and continue on until you're a hundred. Like there's nothing that says that you can't, there's age groups literally for those who are 85 and over. So you can do this. This is a sport that you can do and engage the entire family. And say for instance, you don't swim or you don't bike, that's what relays are for. You can do a relay and still train in that discipline and have coaching so that you can be as proficient as possible in that specific uh, discipline. So there's room for you in this sport. Again, if you can't swim, it's okay. We can teach you how to swim. We can teach you how to bike. We can definitely teach you how to run more efficiently or walk very efficiently because people do walk. Speaking of, how would you encourage an athlete who say, for instance, their knees are shot. They used to play football 
in high school and college and but they swim because now they feel that it's great therapy for them and they're getting into bike riding because biking is the cool thing to do now but they say I can't do a triathlon because my legs are shot how would you coach a beginner coming to you with those issues why couldn't that person do a triathlon that's the first thing is the person says I can't do this we have to get around that first there is no I can't of course you can um there are people at every single triathlon that we do that walk the run or that do the race on the bike that they pull down off their garage ceiling, you know, not a fancy tri bike or um, are deathly afraid of the water. It's normal. The, the, the great thing about triathlon is not everybody is number one and not everybody is super fast. And in the same race, you'll have people that, as you mentioned, can't run or and then at the, in that same race, there's somebody who's a professional getting paid to do this. And that that's kind of the cool thing about the sport is there's all ability levels. And we have to get out of our own head first. Um, I've worked with a fellow came to me. He was about 50 years old, 55 maybe. And he says, I just about drowned as a kid. I have not been in a pool in 40 years. I want to do a triathlon. And the first three lessons with this guy at the pool was just getting him to let go of the ladder when he goes into the pool. He ended up doing a triathlon. Now he held on to the wall, the whole, it was a pool swim. He held on to the wall the whole way, but he did all 800 yards of that sprint triathlon swim, holding on to the wall. Now the next year we did the same race and he did it without touching a wall. And that was a huge personal victory for him. And he went on, he, he was a business owner and he said that gave him a ton of confidence to expand his business and a whole, I mean, a whole lot of other stuff, right? Family and stuff. But sometimes we have to get out of our own way and saying, I can't. Um, I've coached people who do triathlons that can't run. Uh, one fellow, in example, uh, for example, here in town, uh, hasn't run in years, but he speed walks. And he's learned the techniques of speed walking to where he actually walks faster than a lot of people run in the triathlon. So he's still getting age group win or age, age group podiums, even though he doesn't run. Um, and another dear friend of mine I've known for decades in the sport, um, She's a kindergarten teacher up in Phoenix. She's the sweetest soul you'll ever meet. And she uh, rides a big old upright bike and she swims pretty slowly and she walks on the run. And she says her goal in doing a triathlon is so that no one else in that race has to be last. And I think that is the most, that's the sweetest uh, thought at all. And she has done probably 400 triathlons. I need to meet her. Can you put She's me awesome. in contact with her? Because um, that literally yeah. just warmed my heart so that no one else has to be last. That's, yep. she's like the sacrificial lamb that even somebody who is just starting out, she's like, we'll wait for them in, in order for them to pass her so that she can yep. finish last. Wow. I love yep. that. that and that's, is, those are the people that we find in the sport. Oh, that is so amazing. Um, I know in a Marine Corps marathon, they have a gift for the person that finishes last. And I was able to experience that. And of course I was one of the, um, I was shadowing one of the announcers that year and was like, wow, they actually give someone a gift for coming in last. How cool Amazing. is that? So I That's need to me. meet that young lady so I can um, get her something for, you know, just her sacrifice of coming in last and just doing it for the fun of it. Wow, that's good. Well, we have this part of our uh, conversation where we have some rapid fire questions. Uh, I'm gonna ask you some questions and I just want you to shoot what comes off the top of your head. This is gonna be about just random things because I know you're still, you still train. So you probably, um, We'll be able to answer some of these questions and I just hope you have fun. So this is our okay. rapid fire question. Are you ready, Brian? Ready. Let's hear Are it. you ready, Brian? Ready. Yes. Woo! Let's do it. Okay. What's your favorite artist or who's your favorite artist? Oh, my dad. Oh, your dad's a singer or? Uh, no, artist in art, uh, ah. uh, draws uh, pen and ink. So I went straight to the art side since my family is all artists. Um, both my sisters, my brother, my dad are all artists. I have not an artistic bone in my body. Um, but I played music growing up, so I probably should have gone to the music side. That is so funny. And you know 
know, that helps me to be more specific. See, you got to be specific. Go. That is good. <laughs> I'm like, who's your favorite artist? And I'm like, mm, let's see. That, no, that's mm. great. That is... <laughs> Okay, musical artists. I would go Jan and Dean out of the 60s. I love 60s beach music. I love it. I love it. That, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's one of those like moments. Oh, wow. Um, okay. At the end of the race, do you prefer beer, wine, water, or soda? Beer Come for on. short course of water for long course. Okay. Because I'll be on my back uh, wanting to vomit after a long course. <laughs> fair totally fair um what's your favorite place to bike uh mount lemon here in tucson awesome what's your favorite thing about triathlon overall uh two things one the people uh mm -hmm. and two the feeling of accomplishment after either workout or race favorite post-workout food oh boy um <laughs> donuts sorry oh, that's good that's good <laughs> Um, what is, what are two things that you always carry? Uh, two things I always carry, um, ID, uh, road ID. So that if I crash, somebody knows where I'm at, uh, and 20 bucks in case I need to get an Uber home or, uh, or sorry, a cab home Uber. Now I can just do it on my phone, but I don't carry my phone. Ah, now why don't you carry your phone when you're training? I train to escape everything going on. I have uh, a, a military job, five businesses, four kids. Training is my ability to escape and to have me time. And so uh, unless I'm in a new place or, or there's something specific going on, uh, I don't carry my phone. Wow, that's, that's good. I'm going to need to pick up that at some point in my life. Um, <laughs> are, you, are you a transition minimalist, a Goldilocks where you have everything just right? or a kitchen sink space hoarder where you just bring everything with you and you figure out things at the transition? I'm a minimalist who puts everything in the exact same place every single time. So, uh, but I'm a minimalist. I love it. Speaking of, um, thank you so much for uh, partaking in our little rapid fire fun question. You mentioned you have five businesses, you are still uh, working uh, with the military and you have a family and you are a coach. How do you balance it all? Uh, a good support team in each of those uh, areas. And um, actually the biggest way I, I can, can do that is through the, the recovery and the, the mental piece that comes with training with, with triathlon. Um, I'm not training 20 hours a week like I used to, but I still can get a workout in here and there. Um, but it's, it's support team. It's the people, uh, on base, uh, I, I command a unit, but my command team is phenomenal and I can leave a lot of the work with them. Um, businesses, I've got great managers that manage what they manage, um, with family. Stephanie's awesome. The kids are, are great. So that when I'm at work, I can be at work. When I'm at home, I can be at home. They're not all, um, uh, muddling up each other. And then, uh, when I get out to work out, I can, you know, Today I ran at lunch. I just told my command team I'm taking off an hour and a half, and that that was it. So it's it's uh, surrounding yourself with good people, giving them opportunity and resources to do what they need to do, and then trusting that they'll make right decisions. And speaking of your good people that you have, and speaking of the good people that you have working with you, let's talk about the GEC method. Not only are your coaching staff, you know coached with USA triathlon specifications, but they have to go through the Gretzky endurance certification. What does that entail? It, it, again, with anything triathlon, it, it really depends on the athlete. In this case, it depends on the associate coach, um, what their education level is, what their USA triathlon certification level is, what their experience in the sport is. Um, and so what I strive to do with that is, um, as you said, everybody's a USA triathlon certified coach and they maintain that throughout. Uh, and then based on what their own racing background is, we have a lot of conversation and um, some educational piece, a little syllabus, if you will, on learning how to uh, train effectively in short course and long course uh, using technology, power meters, heart rate, um, and, and those kinds of things. So we go through 
it's it's a minimally structured program where I do have a syllabus. Some things we just talk about. Some things we uh, go through pretty in depth. I have them read a few different books and and texts on things. Um, and we we hold a lot of uh, conversations sometimes while we're running or sometimes over a beer, just on different training topics. So that when I hand over an athlete to one of my associate coaches, I know that that athlete's going to get good personal attention, um, knowledge that's proven, uh, not get a whole bunch of personal things or this worked for me, therefore it should work for you, but no kidding, based in science, grounded in science, uh, kind of uh, personal attention. That's good. Um, I'm curious because you still work out, you're still actively training. And I know a lot of times beginners can feel defeated because they're not motivated. So speaking to uh, that beginner or just the normal athlete who's just stopping by this podcast, tell us, uh, Brian, how do you stay motivated and push through to get the workouts done from a perspective of a, an athlete? And then I want you to talk about how do you motivate your athletes from a coach? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, how I do as an athlete is I know that I'm better when I'm working out. What I mean is I can tell that with life going on, I get more stressed and I, I tend to react uh, more negatively or more harshly if I'm not working out. Um, when I can get in a workout, even if it's just a 30 minute run or a 20 minute run, um, if I can get that in, if I can do something every day, um, if I can get it, you know, I, I'm much better father and I'm much better decision maker uh, and husband if I'm, you know, can go get a, a couple hour mountain bike ride on, on Saturday morning or, you know, that kind of thing. So that's my biggest motivation. And, you know, it used to be, I wanted to race and I wanted to qualify and I wanted to win or, you know, whatever it was racing wise, I had my racing goals at this point, I'm being completely honest, I don't have a lot of racing goals, but I do have events that I like to do. Um, and I, I, I still hold myself in a personal pride situation when I go out to race, I want to do well. Um, but my really, my goal is I just, I need to be better for the people around me. Um, as kind of, we mentioned, I try and surround myself with good people and I want to be good for them as well. So that's my primary motivation. Um, and then when motivating athletes, kind of a, what I mentioned earlier is I, the athlete sets the goals. And once the athlete sets the goals, they have that ownership. And so when it comes to a motivation piece, I'll talk about, how training and, and the, the act of training and how that releases stress and, and how they can be better person at business or, per, you know, better husband or better father, or better wife or better mother when they're training. But it also comes to their goals. They have ownership in that goal. They've set that goal. And so the, the conversation circles back to that. Do you want to make this goal? Do you want to, you know, maybe we missed it at a race, but maybe we can make that goal the next time or maybe next spring. And so I really, I, it, I can't push motivation. I can be motivational, but I can't push motivation. The athlete has to own that and has to, to, to have that buy-in. And so owning that goal, seeing that race result. Um, and then one of the techniques I used to do that is show them in training how they are making progress. Um, that's gadgets and gizmos are great for that. We can see power increases. We can see records that were set. We can see, uh, you know, time trials or field tests. Um, and sometimes it's just the fact that they made it through a workout uh, can be huge. So I take um, pretty detailed notes on different things. And I, I give that encouragement when they make, when they get a record or when they see improvement or when they make it through what I know to be a tough workout. And, and that's really motivating to see, yeah, I did it. And, and, you know, I got through that. I have one athlete that constantly gives me uh, grief on my swim workouts and I give her tough workouts. Um, and that the, the <laughs> she gives me a ton of grief and I, I you know, I always come back and I, I, I play pretty harsh with her and, you know, she'll say I, I was screaming profanities at your name about three quarters of the way through the workout. And, but I always come back and say, but you finished it. Right. And that's motivating to her and everybody's motivated a different way, but um, yeah. Oh, I have a feeling you were in my head this morning as I was doing my swim workout. Cause I um, probably screamed profanities and, I felt like I cried today in the water and was like, oh, these tears, how do you train with tears in the water? Like, I felt like it was just a bucket there. No, I love, love, love that. Um, but you felt good after that workout, right? I mean, you know, 
Yes, I did. And his, it, which is so funny because that's why my hair is looking like it's looking today because I was like, I, I have to make a decision. I either am going to work out and try to do my hair and do all these things. And, you know, being a woman, of, you know, a black woman, you know, hair is one of those things that, you know, we pride ourselves on looking good. And I had to yeah. say, listen, I can't sit up here and blow dry it every day. Today is just going to be a, put it in some braids and figure it out because I also, before this podcast had finished a track workout. So I was ah. really cursing and good for you. was just angry and mad. And then I'm like, but I feel really good now. So yeah. yes, in the moment and in the heat of things, you it doesn't feel good. And when you finish, there is a sign of relief and a sign of like, man, I got this. I did this. I want to ask you uh, another question that I think is just really good. Can you tell me your uh, funnest or best triathlon story? I've had so many. It's tough. Um, funnest and best. The, the races I look back on as the most fun were my military championship races. Um, in 2005, six kind of era, uh, we would go out, we, and it's a long tradition that's still going on, uh, but we would go uh, out to um, uh, Thousand Oaks, California, out to Point Magoo, and it's flat as a pancake. It's on the coast. The, the water is just up from Zuma Beach, and it's super cold right there, and so it's horrible swim, but the transition is right on the beach. I mean, you're, you're literally 10 yards from at water exit to transition. Um, fast course the wind's blowing it, phenomenal course um horribly cold water and i'm not a good swimmer um but what made it fun again going back to the people uh i i on the air force team and we would race against navy and against army and against marine corps and against some canadians and maybe some other um, people here and there and it was just a fun a fun event we would um get together as teams we'd heckle the others and we'd all go out and have a nice dinner together and then, uh, you know, come race morning, we're all at each other's throats again. And it's um, all friendly competition and the military can get pretty brutal with friendly competition. Um, and on race day, it, it was just some of the hardest racing I've ever done. Um, there were names like, you know, Tim O'Donnell was a champion at one time being a Navy officer. Um, and so it was that level, cal that caliber of athlete at the top end. And then a whole bunch of age groupers, but we were all racing together. There were no age groups. There was no pro versus amateur. It was just, you were a military person on the air force team or the Navy team. And we were racing and it was uh, started off being non-drafting. Now it's draft legal. And so I was able to get on the first years of that race being draft legal. Wow. So it was an interesting experiment by USA triathlon to certify a draft legal race for amateurs. Um, and it was really kind of the leading edge of this draft legal push for amateurs that we have now. Um, and so it, it was Olympic distance, um, amazingly fast, and it brought out the best in all of us in a competition sense. And then again, we're at each other's throats all day long, but then that evening we all go to, there was a, a tradition. We went right after the race to In-N-Out Burger and then ice cream, and then had a little bit of downtime and then went all to dinner at the same Mexican restaurant. And um, we're all giving each other hugs and high fives and a bunch of crap all at the same time. And it, those are my favorite races. Yeah, with your buddies and thank you for your service and to be out there with others who serve this country and you guys get to try. I bet that is an amazing, amazing experience and time. And you guys are always probably sharing stories and your stories can kind of interweave and intermingle with uh, this sport. And I think that is just so great. And I'm glad that's one of your uh, fondest memories as, you know, being with those who you've served amongst and served with for this country. So thank you so much for your service. Absolutely. So we talked about peeing on the bike and you told ah. me you went out for a run today. And I'm just going to ask because I'm just going to put a moment of vulnerability out there. Yeah. Judge me if you want people, I don't care. Um, but my, um, Dear friend who also helps me with this podcast, uh, we were talking about how <laughs> we had come in from workouts and just literally had to like, you know, use, you know, wash off really quickly. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because we're like, look, we didn't shower. We just had to figure it out and do what we have to do. So for that athlete who is trying to figure out navigating work and 
like you said, you went for an hour and a half run today. What is the secret sauce to making sure you shower or do what you need to do so that you come back and are not offensive to your coworkers? Yeah, if you have a facility, you have a shower at work, that's a wonderful thing, right? But a lot of us don't have that. Um, so my trick, and it may not be the best way to do it, but what I've found to be somewhat successful, at least nobody actively tells me I stink, um, it, trunk of my car or, or the, the back of the pickup bed, um, I have a cooler of cold water and a, a hand towel, a couple of hand towels, and I get done with the workout. Uh, I walk around a little bit to stop sweating because it was 95 here today. And, um, and then I just take a, uh, a bit of a towel shower, wipe down, um, whether it's parking lot or, you know, in the office or, you know, at the trailhead or whatever. Um, but a bucket of cold water, a cooler of cold water, a hand towel, um, uh, baby wipes I've done, um, and then make sure you put some deodorant on afterwards. But that, it can be good enough, right? Uh, and that's kind of what we're looking for. That's it. We just need good enough so that we're not smelly and offensive to those who may be no. coming around us. <laughs> yeah, but uh, cooler cold water and, and, uh, and a hand towel works great. Uh, this has been such an amazing interview. And I want to just say thank you again for giving of your time because you not only train, um, you know, coaches, but you've trained professional triathletes. And so I don't, uh, I value your time. And I am so grateful that you said yes to come onto this podcast because like, who am I? I'm just Mashonda, this young girl from Augusta, Georgia, who currently lives in Washington, DC, who picked up trying and has had such a love for triathlons and had this really cool idea to do this podcast. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. We need your help so we can continue to try at TBL. So for more information on where you can find and subscribe to this podcast, visit www.trybeginnersluck.com. And don't forget, whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win. Thank you. All right, guys, that's it for now. See you soon.